Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality, and we're so glad you're here. This is a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we greatly appreciate your support. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Be sure and like, share, and subscribe to any of the social media content platforms that you're using. And then if you go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, you can make a one-time donation or with a monthly subscription, you'll gain access to our bonus content. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. We're so glad you joined us. And today we are so excited to have Andrew Potter with us. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. Yeah, thanks for having me. Andrew is the founder, along with his brother, Frank, of ROKC. So for all of you Kansas City people who are listening in and those who aren't from Kansas City, this is one of Kansas City's premier, if not the premier, right? We'll call it the premier rock climbing. Too kind. <laughs> exactly. Uh, rock cli Indoor rock climbing gyms in Kansas City. And, and uh, Andrew is the founder of this, along with his brother, Frank. And so thanks for joining us. Yeah, glad to be here. In this interview. Um, for a lot of our audience won't know your story. So let's start with that. Um, where did you grow up? Where are you from? Yeah, uh, born in Clarksville, Tennessee. Um, moved to Guam when we were young. My dad was in the military uh, for 22 years. And uh, eventually moved to Washington, D.C. and Germany, moved to Kansas City from Germany in 1998. And my dad retired at Leavenworth um, in like 2000. Um, but we moved here in 1998. I'm like a seventh grader summer. Uh, went to Park Hill South High School and then uh, ran cross country and track there. And then when I graduated from there, went to University of Central Missouri. And then uh, and so. Yeah, I, I consider myself like I've got my early childhood experiences like all over the world, um, but I've considered like Kansas City home. It's where I grew up. You know, I put Clarksville on paperwork, but I I know nothing about Clarksville mm -hmm. and Nashville, which are right there. So, yeah. Yeah, you're man, you know, the military kids that grow up all around the world. It's a it's a it's a unique experience that most people don't have right yeah no i feel uh, really really fortunate you know as a young kid we got to see what third world countries look like you know we yeah. got to see what poverty looked like and we got to i don't know feel very fortunate for what we had just being in those places and i got to go to places like istanbul turkey which you likely wouldn't go today mm -hmm. um uh, I, we got to go see a lot of things that are maybe a little more closed off, mm -hmm. um, to the rest of the world now. So that's yeah. And, and, uh, just so the audience knows, I know your parents and, uh, your dad was an army ranger, correct? He was, So he was in the army and served, uh, in, as an army ranger for, and, and retired with them. Is yeah. that right? Well, yeah. well, he career, re he career retired. Army guy. He, yeah, career army guy retired from the army in, like I said, 2000 at Leavenworth, and then immediately took a job working for the army, which he still has today. Still works um, at Battle Command staff at, at Fort Leavenworth, working as a government servant. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, great parents, love your folks. So, um, all right, so you go to college. What'd you major in? Uh, I got a degree in criminal justice with a minor in military science. Um, which is basically like ROTC. Uh, you know, you, you learn 
essentially like leadership stuff um, in in military science. So yeah, and then what did you do after college? Yeah, I commissioned uh, as a second lieutenant into the army in two thousand nine, same day I graduated, and then or the day after or something like that, and then uh, went. I moved to Washington first, and I led a camp there for cadets who were wanting to become lieutenants. Talking DC? Um, no, Washington, Washington, Washington State, State okay. up in Tacoma, Washington. Okay. Spent a summer there, and then went straight to Infantry Officer Basic in Fort Benning, Georgia, and then went through Ranger School and Airborne School, and then um, went, got sent to my unit, which was Fort Bragg, North Carolina, the 82nd Airborne. And then I was a platoon leader there, and then I got put in charge of the scout sniper platoon. And then in 2012, we got called up to get deployed, and I went to Afghanistan as a scout sniper platoon leader in 2012. Um, and then I came back and immediately went to selection um, in November of 2012 to the Ranger Regiment. Um, uh, went through selection. That was 30 days, got selected as a U.S. Army Ranger and then like went back up to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, packed up my stuff, moved down to the Ranger Regiment and I was down there for a few months. And then I deployed again to Afghanistan with the Rangers, um, did a tour over there, came back. What year was the uh, that? Tour? was 13. 13. 13 was okay. my second tour. Then I came back, um, spent a bunch more time training, doing my job and whatnot. And then um, got deployed again in 2014 um, for my for my last tour in Afghanistan, and I was in Kabul um, for for that deployment, and then came back in late 2014 and um, kind of started the next journey. <laughs> wow, yeah. So, man, you know, when I was trying to get you to come and speak about you know founding ROKC, I I, I wasn't even thinking. I mean, I, obviously, I knew you were an Army Ranger. Yeah, and I knew you'd been to Afghanistan on. I I thought it was two tours, but it's three tours. But no way did I. You know, I was trying to get you to come before all this mess going on. Yeah. In Afghanistan right now, and we'll we'll release this a few weeks from now. But for for everybody that's listening, today is August seventeenth. And yeah. uh, we literally just not too not too many days ago started, you know, this this whole mess that's going on in Afghanistan yeah. right now. So so one thing before I jump on that point, because I do want to take a minute and talk about your experience in Afghanistan and kind of what your perspective is right now, just as one of our people that served that served our country in Afghanistan. But but one thing I want to hit on is that your your dad was an army ranger mm -hmm. you're an army ranger how how many times are does that happen generationally i'm just curious is that is that common or unusual um i you know i don't know i would think uh, it was un, unusual but i don't know I, i'd say it's maybe unusual my dad he didn't serve in the ranger regiment uh he, he went to ranger school same school i went to um so i would say it's uncommon to have two people who went through ranger school, you know, father, son, it's, mm -hmm. it's not, it's not like super common. Um, it'd be even more uncommon if you had a father who was in the ranger regiment and then a son who also made it into the ranger regiment. And so, but for my dad and I both have gone to ranger school, both been infantry officers, both been through the same like airborne schools and all this stuff. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty rare. Mm -hmm. And when you say ranger regiment, I mean, you're talking about an elite group 
of people, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, this is like Navy SEAL, Ranger Regiment. I mean, these are these are the yeah, it's, special it's, of the special kind of it's stuff. It's considered a tier two unit, which would be like um, your your non SEAL team six SEAL teams and and the Rangers. Um, and then uh, and then I believe special forces like Green Berets are are in there as well, but they're their own unit as well. And each just has, you know, um, essentially a different mission set. Mm -hmm. So um, we were we were considered a strike force, you know, um, and we work in company size elements, which are, you know, a platoon to company size elements, which are like 30 to 100 hundred soldiers, whereas like SEALs and special forces, they're working on smaller teams typically. Okay. Um, so on your three tours to Afghanistan, you were each tour, you were there for what? Uh, six to nine months, six to nine um, months. especially in the special operations uh, tours can typically be quite a bit shorter. So, okay. And when, when you landed there, what was your objective? What was your mission when you were on the ground in um, Afghanistan? So when I went as a scout sniper platoon, each each deployment for me was quite different. quite different. Okay. Um, scout sniper platoon leader, um, I would say our mission was movement to contact. Like um, there is a dangerous area in Ghazni um, uh, called Andar. There was a village there called Bashi that no one had been into for two years, and um, it was. Basically, there were arms coming in and out of there from Pakistan and no one could stop it because there was no stronghold. The Afghan National Army didn't have like any presence in that village. They couldn't get a foothold in that village to secure it. And actually, that's probably one of my most proudest moments in the army was um, no one had been there in two years. Um, the when, when people had gone there, they'd gotten pretty beat up. Uh, the day we landed, there was a another officer doing the same job as me who lost both his legs, um, stepping on a pressure plate IED, like walking in, into, you know, one of those villages. And so for, for us, it was like scary to go in, but like we're there, we wanted to do our job. We wanted to go do it. And, and what I didn't realize was when we as a company went in on this big joint operation and secured this village and got rid of the Taliban and allowed the ANA to come back in and do their job. It was the next day, all these kids were going by our trucks because we had secured the village and they had like backpack, like Hello Kitty backpacks on and all this stuff. And it was the first day those kids had gone to school in two years. Mm. Like those kids were probably learning in the madrasa, which is um, essentially the school that the Taliban teaches young kids to be soldiers. Mm -hmm. um, it, it teaches their, you know, um, more extreme beliefs mm -hmm. of, yeah, uh, you know. And so um, to see those kids go to school for the first time, it was kind of like, man, I could maybe not agree with a lot of parts of the war. I can maybe not agree with a lot of things that are happening, but like, I can agree with that. Yeah, Like we, we just helped a lot of families. Mm -hmm. We helped a lot of kids in these, this village. Um, and that's actually what terrifies me about what's happening right now. Yeah. It's cause I know what those villages yeah. look like with the Taliban. Yeah. And that's kind of what I want to, I just want to get your short take, you know, cause I want to, I really want to get into the rock yeah, sorry. and all that, but no, no, that I want to, I, I just thought, golly, the timeliness of this interview, which wasn't planned. Right. Yeah. And I just, I'm just curious because I, You've got to have a, 
a, you know, you, you served our country there. You risked your life there. Yeah. There was a mission that you, that you accomplished there. Yeah. Um, and then now you see what's going on. I'm just curious, what are, what are your thoughts and feelings right now as you see, see this, uh, pull out? I mean, I mean, I cried about this the other day. Yeah. Um, I think about my friends that died, you know, I think about, I think about so much sacrifice that was given um, that I do believe it's negligent the way in which we're abandoning it and abandoning it. And I don't, I don't necessarily believe that um, the war in Afghanistan is just or that it was done correctly or any of that. But I do think there's a right way to walk away from it. And this is not the right way. Mm -hmm. um, there are so many good Afghan humans that gave everything for the last 10 years that risked their lives um, to like help save our lives, to help their own country, to, to make their country better, to give women rights. There was so much that was done by those people and those people will all get murdered. Yeah. And, and that's the reality. Yeah, that's those, just, they will be oh. they will be hunted. And I believe we have a we have a duty um, try to get them out to try and yeah. help those people. Like, yeah. um, I don't, I don't want to see the interpreter that saved my life, yeah. you know, get, get killed in his home because we said, see, ya, you know, mm -hmm. um, whether, whether we should have been there in, in the, in the first place or not is not mm -hmm. what it's about. And I just think it was, it's been poorly executed yeah. the way we're just leaving them high and dry. Yeah. It's, and it's such a, you know, you think about the people that, put their lives on the line that will get murdered for it. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. And, and then, and then you got this other dynamic going on where the president just bails just as soon as, you know, I mean, you're just like, ah, you know, how much money has that guy stacked away? <laughs> That's how my money, my brain thinks like how much money is the president of Afghanistan stashed away in off offshore accounts? I, Oh my gosh. The, and he just, the, as soon as there's any pressure, it's just, he's gone. That was know? the most, the, the level of corruption I saw in Afghanistan was insane. Most of these high end, many high end politicians had second homes in Dubai, you know, yeah. like they would, and these guys would happily leave their families and say, see ya. I'm going to my new life in Dubai and they could make it happen. Cause I mean, we're talking, we're talking most Afghans make live off of $400 a year. And these dudes are stacking away millions, millions, millions and Unbelievable millions. Unbelievable amounts of money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's like, it's like the little person in Afghanistan that's going to get crushed mm -hmm. because that the, the big politician or whoever, he's got the money to pay people off. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it's, it's really, really sad. The people that are going to suffer the most. Yeah. It's the people that deserve it the least. Yeah, exactly. Ah, yeah. Such a heartache. Oh my gosh. Well, I've never been to Afghanistan or Iraq. I've been in the Middle East. I've been to Syria. I've been to Lebanon. I've been to Palestine. I've been to Egypt. I've been to uh, Dubai. I've been I've been around and I've I've uh, done humanitarian work in the Middle East uh, for a lot of years. And I've specifically worked with 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 the Arab Muslim world in particular. Um, so I have my heart 
is out there. Uh, I'm in Afghanistan. What what's the primary language there is? Uh, Pashto and Dari are the two. Okay. Um, Pashto is really the more educated language. Okay. So that's where they're going to speak in Kabul and in yeah. the cities. And Dari is more of your you know outside village um, slang. But those those are the two primary yeah dialects. Well, I I just have a heart for the the area and the region and man well thanks for sharing that thanks for serving our country thanks for uh all that you've done and and you know it is i mean the one you know the one thing that keeps being stated is i mean there's been a two decades of uh like i mean the the, the terrorist issue has there's there is a success for two decades right yeah that, that are so i said to my wife the yeah, other day yeah what's going to happen What's going to happen yeah. in the next five years when mm -hmm. the Taliban is no longer fighting for real estate and now they can put all their time and money into bringing the fight back to us? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't, nobody knows. Right. right? But, right. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not excited about like finding out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a. That was a, an aside that I, you know, it, it didn't even hit me until you arrived. Oh, God, we've got to talk about that with everything going on and all that. So just thank you so much for your your service, your heart. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. And at the end of the interview, let's help me remember some of the I want to talk about some of the the work that you're doing with uh, with, with soldiers, with, you yeah. know, with with suicide prevention, with just just some of your humanitarian work in the city and with with people that have served our country as well let's let's get that in at the end Perfect. so let's let's switch let's switch now and you're you you left the military and uh kind of uh found a love let's talk about two loves in your life your wife where did you meet her and rock climbing um, how did you start rock climbing my wife was looking for a job in pharmaceutical sales and my brother was a pharmaceutical sales recruiter and he was um, essentially headhunting her, uh, helping her find a job. And uh, I had been told that I was leaving in a week for Afghanistan and I came home. I wasn't allowed to tell anybody um, at the time. And so I came home to see my family and basically say goodbye without saying goodbye. Um, so I came home to hang out and um, I got her number from my brother and I called her and um, asked her out on a date. And we went out with some friends and, uh, and, and had drinks and, and just met. And then it was like two days later, we went to a Royals game together. Um, and I'd struggle with relationships in the past, like getting into the stuff that matters. It'd take me like two years and then I'd find out <laughs> that we weren't on the same page with important things. Oh. And and God and faith is a big part of my life. It's a, it's really important to me um, and has become more important um, through my experiences in, in the army. But um, at one point we were driving home from this Royals game and it was our second date. She didn't know me and she was like, hey, do you love Jesus? <laughs> and I was like, yes. Um, but the fact that she was bold enough to just be like, listen, man, if we're not on the same page, like I don't. I'm, I'm out. Like I'm not, I, and it was just funny because I could tell she didn't want to waste any time. Like just, and then I didn't want to waste any time. We spent that week just kind of like opening up and being like, 
this is all my brokenness. These are like the worst parts of me. These are the things that you should know. And if you don't like it, like you should walk. And so we were very vulnerable, very quick. And this is before your, which tour? Yeah, my third tour. So right before. And then literally. you, You can't tell her that you're. And then literally, I didn't realize, I didn't realize what was happening, but I was falling in love with her. Um, and, and we barely knew each other. And then I looked at her and I was like, Hey, I have to tell you something I'm not supposed to tell you. (laughs) I was like, I'm leaving for Afghanistan next week. And I don't know when I'm going to be back. And it's not going to, I'm not even going to be able to talk to you much. Like it could be weeks, months. I might not even have a secure connection. Like I don't want to put you through that. And she was like, Nope, I want to support you through it. So I spent the next, I don't know, eight or nine months in Afghanistan and we just wrote letters and I was able to get on a secure phone call with her every once in a while. But what was really cool about it was it was impossible for us to have any like physical relationship. We were only limited to just talking to each other and learning about what was important and and all this stuff. And so I got back a week earlier than she thought and she had done some like modeling in the past and some friend had asked her to model for some like thing. So she got all dressed up and did all her makeup and stuff. And then um, like walked into this barn for the shoot and I was there in uniform. Oh wow. Had come back from Afghanistan. She didn't know I was home. Oh. Proposed. Do you have that on video? Uh, I We might have video. We definitely have photos. <laughs> we definitely have a bunch of photos and stuff. We had a photographer oh, wow. there, but surprised her, proposed. We were engaged for maybe six or more months and then got married. Um, and then- What year was your marriage? Oof, uh, 16. Okay. Um, no, yes. I don't know. She's probably gonna listen to this and <laughs> hit me um, and I'll deserve it. But uh, no, I, I, it was, yeah, it was 15. Okay. Uh, so I got out of the army in like February of 15 and then we got married. Um, and then, uh, like that first year we spent literally me just trying to find money to build this business. Um, and I needed money to close, uh, an SBA loan. And so like we traveled the country in my 1988 Land Cruiser living on the rooftop tent, uh, while I like made phone calls and tried to meet people to one, learn how to open a rock climbing gym, but two, um, like find the money to pay the down payment on a loan and not to take credit away from my brother because he did a lot of work as well while I was overseas and whatnot, like learning what the business operations and finances and that kind of stuff look like for opening gyms. So he did a lot of that work too. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's what me and my wife were doing that first year marriage. And then we finally closed on a loan in, I think maybe October of 2015 and immediately started construction. And then for like the next, until we opened in May of 2016, um, I literally was in the building doing construction 15, 18 hours a day. Mm. Like I would, I would leave at 4.30 to make sure the doors were unlocked for the workers at like five. And then I would be home at like 11 o'clock at night, would typically choose not to shower because the sleep was more important than being clean. And then I would just get up and do it again. Yeah. And I did that until we, like two days before we opened, my wife and I were in there with like gas masks, 
like staining the floor with acetone. And wow. it was just like, it was just like down to the wire. <laughs> yeah. And this, for those of you who don't know that his first climbing gym was in North Kansas city and it's, it's an older building. How old is that building? That I think you, it's 110 years old. Wow. It's like 1890s. Yeah. And you, American I mean, you've Steel. done amazing work with getting that building up and going, man. It's been a project. I bet. <laughs> and it, I mean, obviously it wasn't all me, you know, yeah, no, I know. Um, we, but, we had a lot of help, but yeah. there was just, there was a lot of grind that went into opening that gym. Yeah. But man, and then you're, you know, I remember you telling me that the models for your first year, second year revenue, and you'd planned all that out and you had your, you know, obviously you had your, your higher hopes and your lower, yeah. your lower hopes, but you guys exceeded all the numbers like right out of the gate. Yeah. We, we, it was funny cause we got turned down by at least 10 banks to get a loan to do the business. Cause they were like rock climbing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like what, in what year did you open the gym? Uh, uh, 16, 16. Okay. Yeah. And, but we ended up beating the projections by 20%. Yeah. So it yeah. was great. That's crazy. Cool. And tell us when you, when you, when did you start rock climbing? How did you pick up on your love for rock climbing? Boy Scouts, Germany, late nineties. Um, we, we did some rock climbing there, but then we went, um, to Garmisch and we actually went on an outdoor climbing trip and it was like, it was just, it was just me, you know? And then it, it stuck with me. And then I even climbed, I was climbing at Ibex in blue Springs, um, you know, in high school. Um, and then I went to college and I founded the university of central Missouri climbing club there with another buddy of mine. And we led trips and, we like climbed the buildings on campus and, and it was. That's what I did when I, I'd, I'd go buildering. You yeah, know? yeah. Back when nobody did it. I mean, I, this is like in, in the eighties when I was doing this <laughs> and I'd have policemen walk up, you know, I'd be way up on the side of a building, no ropes, you know, and they're like, Hey, I don't think you're supposed to be up there. <laughs> like this is a police officer, you know? <laughs> no, no, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> You're Spider-Man, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, crazy. So all through college and then <laughs> everywhere I moved to for the army, like I, I always took my gear with me. I always found a place to climb and, um, and I even climbed in Afghanistan. Um, and then, uh, and I got out of climbing a little bit specifically to base jump, but then I was climbing to do jumps and I was doing a, a bunch of different stuff. And, um, and it was just always a part of me. And then when I realized I didn't want to spend 20 years in the army, I was like, well, I just, I just want to get up and like do what I love to do every day. Like, I don't, I just want to get up and like go to work and enjoy what I do mm -hmm. every day. And I was like, what could that be? And I was like, what do I really enjoy? And I was like, well, I love rock climbing, but like, is that even a feasible business? And then went into all the research of like figuring out if you could like raise a family or yeah. make a living, you know? Yeah. So let's, let me, let me dive in here just a minute. The, so I, I've told you this in private, but, um, the first time I rock climb was when I was 16. So I'd been in 1977 at, at cliff drive. Right. Oh, stop. Yeah. <laughs> right. 1977. Amazing. And there was one place in Kansas city on Broadway and about Broadway and 39th called backwoods. Yep. That was the only spot that you could buy actually rock climbing gear. That's where I bought my first rope, my first, you know, and, um, and I, and I got hooked on it. And then when I went to college, I didn't climb much. I was so busy working all this kind of stuff. And then, but then when I went to seminary, I was in Fort Worth, Texas, 
I picked it back up again and just went crazy with it for almost two decades, right? Until I just my elbow tendons just yeah, started yeah, yeah. blowing out and, and it just got to where I'd lay off for two, three months and, you know, one climb back and they were hurting again, you know, that kind of thing. So, so I still climb, but I don't train anymore. And I, yeah. I just do trips with friends every now and then and do the cleaning, you know, but um, no. Um, but I remember when I first started climbing, there were no rock climbing gyms. People hadn't even started those. Right. Yeah. Um, 87 there, was the first gym in, in Seattle. Okay, that's Washington. what I was wondering. When, when yeah. was that? I was going to ask you that vertical world in, 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 in Seattle, 1987 yep. in Seattle, Washington. Cause I didn't know the answer to that. Rich Johnson's actually my mentor. Is he, he the one that opened that gym? He's the one that opened that Interesting. gym. He, he founded the industry for the United Interesting. States. Yeah. So I, I remember buying a couple of books on how to tie knots, like by Royal Robbins. I mean, these are like little picture <laughs> books. This is how, I mean, I'm mean, talking 1970, late yeah, 70s. Yeah, yeah. There's no internet. There's no, you only learn to climb by another climber. Yeah. You had to meet another climber just to learn the game and learn the skills. Even, and, even in the early 2000s, it was still a bit like that. Like yeah. you can go to YouTube now and learn everything you want to learn, but. And you can go to a climbing gym and get yeah. lessons. And I mean, you guys are teaching people how to belay and this and that and the other right off the bat. And you know, I remember going into the first climbing gym and they're like going, you got to take a lesson to belay. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've done that before. <laughs> you, you can't, you can't actually, you can't actually tie in with the bowling, sir. Like <laughs> any rate, it was funny, but, um, so, yeah. So I, so I picked up this craft and then like, so when I was living in Fort Worth, we would go down to Enchanted Rock in Austin it's three or four hours up to Wichita mountains in Oklahoma. And you had the Wichita mountains and the quartz mountain, beautiful pink granite. Yep. Um, big 200 foot slabs that you could climb in there. Still just as terrifying. I, I did stuff like I did, I did 200 foot walls there. Free solo, free solo. Oh yeah. I mean like hard, like I was, it was crazy. And, uh, the people that I would meet. So here I was the seminary student, right? You know, mm -hmm. studying theology. And then I would, I, the people I was climbing with were not seminary students, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm climbing with some of the most free spirited people that I'd ever met in my life. People whose spirituality was all over the map. I don't think I ever met one person that would have said they were a Christian or a Jesus follower in my first 20 years of climbing with people, right? It was super eclectic, super fun. We always got into spiritual conversations, always went all over the map. And so now that I do spirituality adventures, honestly, it, I talk with people of all different types of spirituality. And it reminds me of how I had these conversations, like, you know, camping out and and rock climbing stuff and, you know, dirt, yeah, I mean, dirt what bagging I, it and all what that I, kind What of I stuff. loved about the community and like me being, you know, a pretty strong Christian was... Um, even if, even if people didn't like label themselves at something or another, um, they were all such good humans, mm -hmm. like whether they like believe the same thing I did or not, you could show up somewhere and be like, oh my gosh, I forgot my sleeping bag. And somebody would be like, oh, you can use mine. Why yeah. use mine? And I'm like, I'm not going to take your sleeping bag. Like you, <laughs> that's the only sleeping bag you have. And they're like, oh, I'm fine. I, I got another blanket or something. You can, you can have mine. And, and you're like, what? Or, oh, you forgot your food or your burner come like, yeah. and people were so, and that's what drew me to the community was there was like no judgment, no criticism. Yeah. Like there was positive regard for everybody and it didn't matter 
who you were, where you were from, or for this. Care for the just, planet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big, big environmentalists. Absolutely. Right? We all wanted to take care of the rock and, you know, all the debates about whether yeah. you use chalk or not and this and that and the other. But it's all, but it all came from a good heart, like to protect the environment, you know? And yeah, and, no, and, I've, it was something I always really loved and appreciated about the community. Yeah. Um, me so. too. And I still love it. Yeah. It's yeah, still, oh, yeah. it still has a edge to it. I would say that's a little bit countercultural, don't you think? Oh, 100%. even, even with the popularity of the rock climbing walls all over the United States, I mean, the, the rock climbing gyms all over the United States, it still, it still has a bit of that edge to it that I like. Oh yeah. And there's still, you've still got plenty of salty climbers out there <laughs> that, you know, we're going to do it a specific way. It's, it's kind of like any community. The difference is yeah. now the, the community is becoming a little broader. There's some more, I guess, mainstreamness mm -hmm. um, to the community, but yeah, you've still got, you've still got, crags out there or or climbing areas that are like the secret like club climbing area that mm, like people don't really know about but people who are in the know know about but yeah. it's like that you know that's they, where i always tried to find out like everywhere i went there were you know your people don't I, i'm i'm a lot of people are listening aren't climbers okay so yeah, yeah, yeah so like if you ever if anybody's ever watched a surf movie and where you have like local surfers that kind of control that surf area yeah oh yeah so climbing community is like that all over the united states every local climbing place typically has a a group of local climbers that govern the rules of that place right and how yeah, they, and, how they and do now it. we now we have coalitions that do it like the okay. arkansas climbing coalition or the, oh see, or whatever so you see, I, I was way before that <laughs> yeah so you but but you still have i always where, tried to find those local guys and then they back in back in the 80s 90s they they were oh yeah no, no, come climbing with me you know and yeah, yeah, yeah you just hook up okay and then they'd show you their place and their scene they're real proud of and they teach you the rules and that's how i and, and there's definitely still a, a lot of that that goes on where there's there's places that i probably don't know about and don't get invited to that some of the like most hardcore climbers are keeping to themselves you know yeah and you got to be in that club yeah well, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So before, um, one other question I got on climbing. So if people want to learn about climbing, so what are your top three climbing movies of all time? Oh, uh, you know, see if they're the same as mine. Uh, <laughs> I mean, free soul is really good with Alex Honnold. Um, it's really That's great. In my top three. Yeah. Um, Valley Uprising. That's um, in my top three. <laughs> I, I I consider it a climbing movie uh, for sure. Oh, it's so fun. It's it's really fun. It's different. It, it shows yeah. you more of the culture. And the and, quirkiness of and it. And the history. Right? Yeah. You know, it, it, history. Teaches, it talks about a lot history of the history. of Yosemite Valley, for those who are listening. Yeah, free really solo. cool. Yeah. And. Uh, I mean, not free solo. Uh, Valley Uprising is the history of Yosemite. Yeah. You know, there's another uh, another film called Rockpunkt which is Red Point in German. It's Alexander Magos's oh, uh, little documentary. I have seen that one. And I just- Is it English or German? Um, he's German. I can't, I'm pretty sure he speaks English throughout most of it. There's probably some okay. German in it, um, but um, it's a newer film as well. It is good. It is good. My third, and it's not really, it's more mixed and high, high, high Alpine is uh, Meru. 
Mayer is great. Yeah. Jimmy and, Chin and yeah. uh, Alex Al, uh, or Conrad, Conrad Anchor, Anchor. And what's the other guy's name? As, uh, oh, God. Ren- Film is nuts. The third guy that got yeah, injured. Yeah, that, that hurt his, broke his neck. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. And Jimmy gets, I mean, that's the craziest film. And it, like I've shown it to friends who don't climb and about the first half can, can be a little tedious and boring for, yeah, non, yeah, yeah. for non-climbers. Jimmy Chim is basically filming this whole thing. It's mind blowing. It's crazy. But then that second half, the drama and the yeah. story of, oh man. It's a great amazing, film. Amazing. Yeah. It's a great film. All right. All right. So ROKC, let's talk a little bit about, um, tell, tell us a little bit about your operation right now in Kansas City. Um, because you've got three gyms now, yep. plus your, I, I think there's other components to what you're doing now as well. You've partnered, I think, with with a clothing store, and is that true? Yeah, that's and, down in uh, so down give, in Olathe. Give people kind of an overview of what you're what what you're doing now with ROKC, how it's developed over the last what five years? Yeah, so the first location is in North Kansas City. Um, we have a small fitness area in there, but we teach fitness and yoga classes every week. We have a yoga studio as well. We run birthday parties there. You've got two styles of climbing, bouldering, which is about 15 feet tall, and every fall is a ground fall. So if you fall off the, the wall, you come down to a large pad. Um, and then there's um, tall climbing or sport climbing, which you're looking at about you know 40 foot walls in our tall climbing area, and that's where you're connected to ropes. Um, and that facility, is about 18,000 square feet with like bathrooms and locker rooms. But a lot of people use it as both their gym and their, their climbing facility. Uh, then downtown off of 31st street, kind of near like Southwest Boulevard or yeah, Southwest Boulevard. Um, down in the underground, 10 stories underground, we have a bouldering only gym. So once again, that 15 foot tall climbing where if you fall, you come down to a pad, um, for reference, that one's about 6,000 square feet and it's only bouldering. We do have a small fitness area in there as well. Jeremy, I've never been to that one. Yeah. Okay. Jeremy yeah. Collins did a massive mural oh, across serious? the wall. It's oh, cool. absolutely beautiful. Yeah. I have not met Jeremy Collins, but one of my close friends, really close friends is a guy named Tim Place and Tim knows Jeremy pretty well. So through Tim, I kind of feel like I, Tim, Tim was, you know, uh, hanging out with Jeremy quite a bit, even staying at his place some there for a little while. Yeah, so. I spent uh, Jeremy's 40th birthday with him. Oh, yeah. He climbed 40 classic routes in Arkansas on his 40th birthday. And I just, you know, went around cliffs and blade with him and, nice. and hung out for the weekend. But. Yeah. Yeah. For those who don't know Jeremy Collins, you can check him out on Instagram. And he's got, he, he he's, he's got amazing. his company Meridian Line as well. Okay. Which is, uh, they put, artwork on shirts and prints and, and a lot of different stuff, but it's pretty cool. That was incredible. He's known for his murals, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so murals he did one are for incredible. You. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, that's our bouldering gym. And then in Olathe, we have our newest location, which is around 40,000 square feet. And um, we have a full coffee shop and bar in there with an incredible whiskey selection, um, pizza and salads and, and great coffee. Um, it's, I'm a minority partner in it. And then the, the real owner's Corey Stipp and he previously owned key coffee in the river market oh, nice. and uh, the like Nelson it. before he sold it. Um, and then he sold it and partnered with me and my brother, 
um, to build that space. And it's, it's really his, his business and we're, we just get to be along for the ride, but awesome, like coffee and small plates there. And then next door you have Moose Jaw Mountaineering. Um, so they, uh, they're just a tenant of mine and, um, but they're also awesome. Is that their second location? In it's their KC? second location in Casey. They have one on the plaza yeah. and then one down there and they're awesome. Like mm-hmm. they, they basically, we don't do retail, so they do it instead. Okay. And, and then they support us with events and they support us with like just everything. They've supported our nonprofit endeavors. They've just been an awesome partner down there. And then we've got the full gym. And when I'm saying full gym, I mean like we have, turf that you can, you know, push sleds and carry yokes. We have everything from Olympic lifting to like cable machines. We have infrared saunas in there. We have an entire deck of just cardio equipment, a full yoga studio. Um, and I think we run like between 18 and 20 classes there a week, um, both fitness and yoga. And then we have 50 foot walls, um, for climbing and then we have uh, a full bouldering area as well that's um, pretty substantial and then we have these upstairs like party rooms and we call them that because people rent them to do like a birthday party and stuff and they get an entire room of like 25 foot climbing walls but they're also really nice for like new climbers who are trying to get into it they don't really want to climb super high and maybe they don't want to like have a bunch of other people around them watching them because they're just figuring it out and they're new to it. And so it's great for the middle of the day, small group of friends to go up there and kind of have like a private space. Um, so that's, that's pretty much the whole, uh, facility, uh, down in, that's awesome. down in Olathe. That's awesome. Now, do you have a, as a part of your, your company is the company called ROKC? Is yeah. that the, Okay. And then are you, is there a software side to your company as well? Is that what Frank does or? Well, that's a different company okay. that, that we started. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So that's a, that's Cause a I remember you telling me about that too. So yeah, we, we have a software company as well. And, and you're sorry. right. You're writing software that other climbing gyms would use. Yeah. So we build point of sale and client relationship management software for the fitness industry. Our, okay. our beachhead is climbing because we're subject matter experts in it. And we've got, we've got close to 60 clients now in the U S Canada, Germany, and Australia. Okay. And we're, we're closing a seed round, um, as we speak and, um, and just trying to grow that product. So. Cool. All right. So, uh, so let's talk a little bit about spirituality. Um, you're maybe what you're comfortable sharing with your own journey, yeah. your own spiritual journey, but then how does that influence, uh, what you do at ROKC and, and the variety of people that come rock climbing and, and the eclectic nature of spirituality, uh, in, in that whole community, which I, which I love by the way. So, but I'm just curious how you've, how that, how your own spiritual journey has influenced what you do and then maybe spirituality in the workplace, how, how you've tried to cultivate at least, uh, well, talk about how you've tried to maybe cultivate at least a spiritual component to what you guys do. Yeah. So, um, obviously I grew up like in a strong Christian family, church going, um, every Sunday type thing. And then, um, I, I, I drifted, I I guess in college, I would have absolutely called myself a Christian and whatnot, but I wouldn't say that I like acted like one, um, or that I was great at walking with the Lord. Um, and then, and then going to war, like put 
things into heavy perspective for me. Um, and then, and that's when I realized, man, like I can be a better version of me. Like I've, I had some near death experiences overseas and I was like, you know, I believe that God has a plan for me and I don't know what it is. Um, but, uh, I gotta figure my, (laughs) I gotta figure my stuff out if, you know, I'm going to be, if I'm going to stay on this planet and be a better version of myself, we talked earlier how I didn't think I'd live past 30 and that was because of the decisions and maybe the recklessness of the things I was doing, jumping off of cell phone towers and (laughs) riding motorcycles really fast. And, um, and, uh, and as I, as I got out of the army, like faith, actually it changed for me quite a bit. Um, just because I realized that, um, I don't know, I got burned a lot by the church. And what I realized was uh, the church could be extremely judgmental. Um, And like, I'm broken just like anybody else. Uh, And guess what community was like willing to just like love me for who I am. And that was like a climbing community, Mm. right? And yeah. And I didn't, there wasn't a point that I wanted to necessarily walk away from my faith or God, but um, I just didn't, there was no relationship. Like I didn't, and I didn't know what my purpose was or or what it would look like for me. And, uh, and when I got turned down by 10 banks and, uh, and, and when I didn't think I was gonna make it, when I spent every dollar I'd ever saved for six years in the army to try and do this and I was, unemployed and, you know, living in my brother's garage, uh, trying to figure this out. Um, I just, I honestly just prayed and I said, listen, I don't know if this is what I'm meant to do. Um, if it's not just crush it, like absolutely smash it. I don't want there to be hope left for me to chase. Like mm. if, if this is what I'm meant to do, that's make, a, make I it, make it I need happen. to pray that prayer. <laughs> <laughs> like seriously. And that's, that's interesting. And I prayed it a lot yeah. and it, it, it was hard. There are challenges, but it yeah. never got smashed. So I was interesting. like, interesting. Yeah. I like that prayer. I, just smash it. Yeah. Like if this isn't what you want me to do, yeah. like smash it. And, hmm. and from then on, when this became a thing, I, I was like, you know what? I want to build this and then le- leverage it for the kingdom. And I'm not trying to define what the kingdom looks like. I'm just saying in the end, let's find a way to use this to serve others. So if you open our operations manual, the first thing it says is build this to give it away. Mm. And my goal was, I don't care if you're black, white, straight, gay, fat, skinny, in shape, out of shape, the strongest climber, the weakest climber. Mm-hmm. Like if you walk in the doors of our, of our facility, like you should feel loved mm-hmm. because for a guy that came back from war, suffering from post-traumatic stress and dealing with a lot of friends who were suicide or maybe even taking their lives or attempting you know that could be one of those people that walked in our facility and had nothing to live for Mm. or had no one that showed them any love or any kindness and if someone at our front desk could just like show them kindness even when they're having the worst day ever Mm -hmm. i don't know it it you don't know what kind of seed of hope you can plant with someone in a simple conversation Mm -hmm. and and for me it was like listen we want people at our OKC to serve the people that walk in the door like their friends and family. So if you come in and you're ripping my staff apart 
because um, because you're having a bad day, instead of us judging someone, we should say, you know what? We don't know where this person's at, where they're at in their life. It's it's our job to just show them kindness and love. Like that's that that's what it means to me to like to serve others is not not to cast judgment, not to decide whether they're right and or wrong, but have grace mm-hmm. and 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 say hey you know what we're just here to serve people yeah and just because you don't you don't ever know where those those simple conversations you have where they'll ever lead and you know what you'll probably never find out but it doesn't matter like you you should strive to use what you're doing to serve others and i mean that's what that's what we're trying to do i love it i love it i that's what i think yeah i mean yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's funny Great. because like my my general manager, um, she was a like absolute atheist and an awesome human. And it like none of that mattered to me. Mm-hmm. What mattered to me was how you served people. Right. And what I found is like for me, being a Christian wasn't about making it to church on time every Sunday. It was about like, like walking the walk and and what your witness looks like and it's about like it's not necessarily about doing all the perfect good deeds um but what faith looked like to me is like being genuine to yourself and doing the best you can to serve others knowing you're going to screw things up because you're human Mm -hmm. like you know yeah and so like at least on my staff like i only believe in one form of failure Um, and the form of failure that I believe in is if you screw things up and make mistakes and you learn nothing from it, that's failure. Yeah. Anything else that's life. Right. And it sucks it if it happens later in life or it sucks when it happens when you're young or whatever. But if you're growing and learning, then you're, you're becoming a better person. You're becoming a better human. And we have a, Mm -hmm. we have a, a short, but kind of a long life on this planet. And so for me with, with my team, I'm just like, listen, go screw things up, like work hard, but like do it with a good heart. And like, I'm not, I'm not here to destroy people that screw things up and make mistakes. Um, but I need you to learn from it. Mm-hmm. I need you to be better from it. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, that's been really our goal. I don't, yeah. I've, I've had a lot of really great, like spiritual or religious conversations with my staff. I've had staff like ask me about my faith or Christianity or whatever, mm-hmm. but um, it's typically not something that I bring up. I'm mm-hmm. just like, Hey, treat people well and serve others mm-hmm. no matter who they are when they walk through that door. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, you know, the grace, you know, in my, my own experience this last couple of years, you know, the people that have shown grace have, you know, man, that's what you need when you do blow it. And that, and you need people that show you grace to, to learn from it and to move forward because you're, you know, the shame I had around my failure was, whew, it took me into a very, very dark place. And, yeah. uh, whew, man, have you, you know, read any of Brene Brown's works? I love her. She's yeah. my favorite. Probably. She says that shame is, I believe that if you know something about me, that you'll think less of me for it. And what I yeah. found like working with people that are suffering is 
if you can allow yourself some level of vulnerability and be honest just about who you are and genuine, mm-hmm. most people actually respect you more like for your brokenness because we all have it. And so it's like, that was my problem with religion over like faith or spirituality was religion seems so judgmental right. in many ways and about, well, this is what's wrong and this is why you're wrong. And you're like, what? Mm-hmm. We're, we all screw stuff up. Right. We're all broken. There's literally nobody around here that's perfect. Right. So like, when are you going to learn to have grace for others yeah. Yeah. and for yourself? You know, exactly. Yeah. And that was a, that was, a, I had to really, you know, forgiving myself was such a big, and I'm still in process, but definitely it was a, certainly in a better place, but ooh, man, dark days. So, um, so I love the fact that, so I've done yoga off and on. Yeah. I've done karate off and on. I've done a few, uh, disciplines that, that, and you know, sometimes some of the American versions of those things are fairly secular. Yeah. And then sometimes you have instructors that, uh, actually are emphasizing the spiritual components of, yeah. of that. And I noticed on your website, um, and I've had friends that have taken your yoga class before, but you, you, you have a lot of yoga instructors working with your organization and, um, talk about just, you know, why did you decide to, uh, get yoga integrated into your rock climbing gyms at such a high, such a high level? Yeah. It's funny. Um, I don't do yoga. I remember, uh, I tried it one time, um, when we were building when the North facility was open and I literally, the, a phone call came in and literally my general managers walked in there like, Andrew, you have to take this phone call. And I was like, can it wait? This is like my first yoga class ever. And they're like, no, you have to take it. <laughs> and I literally walked out in the middle of the class, which I guess I was enjoying. Um, but I yoga, like I'm not the guy that can like truly speak to um, to yoga in a great manner because it's, to be honest, it comes down to a time thing. And if I'm going to choose to put my time somewhere an hour into something or, or, or whatever, it's likely going to be something like climbing or cycling or disc golf or, or whatever else. But do you, do you still cycle by the way? Yeah, you do. I just dropped my bike off. I'm, we, I'm, we got to go cycling together. Yeah, let's go ride. I'm probably get destroyed by you, but <laughs> I've heard things. Okay. <laughs> I've heard things, but you know, I'm, don't, don't I'm older me. and fatter. Don't trick me. No. <laughs> every, every triathlon I did, the guys who beat me were all like 45 years old and they were, they were monsters. Oh. Um, but yeah, no, um, yoga, uh, yoga really does have great benefits, um, for, for both communities, you know, uh, the communities are, a lot of people that do yoga do rock climbing and a lot of people that rock climbing are using yoga as well. Mm -hmm. And you can't climb five days a week, right? Some people can, but you're more likely to get injured or burn out or, or a lot of those things. It's better to climb like three or four days a week and then choose something else, Mm -hmm. um, to include some rest days. And so yoga is such, it's just such a perfect marriage with, with climbing. So we think about, um, I think about one of your instructors that you think would be a, a good person for me to interview. And I'll do a I'll do a deep dive with him or her on, uh, you know, just just talk about yoga. I'd love to explore yoga with somebody on my podcast. I have just, someone in mind. For okay, sure. cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, kind of to, to kind of wrap things up. Um, 
Let's talk a little bit about your nonprofit work and some of the things that maybe you don't always share publicly, but are are big components to what you do, what you care about, um, how you try to serve not only not only your customer base, but you you serve a broader group of people that yeah. flows out of your experience and your heart. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so there was a nonprofit I co-founded called Exploring Roots, and we um, we focused on serving underserved youth in Kansas City um, by getting them outside, getting them climbing. We took them on the rivers. We actually took them to Colorado, mainly black and Hispanic kids um, from the inner city, uh, and we partnered with the Police Athletic League. So, um, you know, a lot of a troubled young youth or teens or kids that didn't have access to the same stuff. And so ROKC would like donate all the programming for the kids to be able to come in and climb and do stuff. But then uh, typically monthly, we'd, t- we'd take them on a, a, a one or two day outing. So we'd go camping and they'd make their, cook their first campfire and make their first s'more. They'd learn how to build a tent, like um, skills that they didn't know existed. And I think one of my favorite stories is uh, the team was on a hike and one of the kids was like, what the is that? <laughs> and uh, And one of our mentors was like, that's a deer. <laughs> and it's like mind blowing to think that, you know, a 13 year old has maybe oh, never whoa. seen a deer before. And us as an organization, we're like, and that's what we're trying to do. Wow. You know, we're trying to find a way to have like more diversity in the outdoors because like protecting our outdoor spaces is so important, but you can't protect outdoor spaces if you don't have an affinity for them. If you don't love or care for the outdoors, if you have no reason to want to be outdoors, why are you going to look at your local parks? Mm-hmm. And um, and to be honest, we're super under resourced. We really struggled to raise money or get funding. We put we put a lot of effort into it, and it just it was really hard. And so we ended up partnering, and then recently we dissolved that nonprofit and merged with Heartland Conservation Alliance. And Heartland Conservation Alliance really focuses on protecting wild spaces in Kansas City, especially along the Blue River. Mm. So they buy tracts of land and then they make sure they can't be developed on and they're used for conservation. Interesting. And Exploring Roots is now a program under their umbrella of programs, but under their nonprofit, still focused on the same thing, trying to get the urban core out into the outdoors. Mm. And, and, and a big part of that purpose is to show the importance of the Blue River, our outdoor spaces, our local outdoor spaces, so we protect them. Because in cities, they're disappearing, you know? And so um, that that's the goal of that nonprofit mm-hmm. and, that I work with actively still. Mm-hmm. And then the other, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just, um, the, uh, you know, I, so I don't, I, I should work on trails because I ride dirt trails a lot around here. Urban Trail know? Company? Is yeah. that what you're going to bring up? Yeah, out? yeah. So my, I have a lot of friends that, you know, like Ben Bolin. I don't mm-hmm. know if you know Ben or not, but he, I mean, he's been president of that that group before. HCA has worked quite a bit with Urban Trail Co. Yeah, I was curious so. because a lot of my mountain biking buddies, um, you know, you always have a trail crew over all the different trails around here in Kansas City. And people, it's a hidden secret. But people don't realize that I and I did an inter, I, I did a outdoor interview at, at, over at Wyandotte County Lake at the dirt trails over there yeah. with one of the guys that works on the trails. And uh, but there's there's a few hundred miles of maintained dirt trails in Kansas City. You can hike them. You can mountain bike them. 
there's huge trail systems that they maintain in Swope Park. Yep. And you've got the bouldering there, yep. you know, in Swope Park. If you, We've been right? doing, we've literally been doing it in a summer adventure series with Heartland Conservation Alliance. Yeah. And we did, we did it at Swope at Blue Valley Park and, and taking people to parks and trails that they never seen before. Yeah. And then you go and you hike this area and you grab a, essentially like a keychain, mm-hmm. uh, Heartland Conservation Alliance keychain for the Exploring Roots Challenge. Yeah. And then you can win prizes from, um, like Moose John. And wh- what's the supply line for the kids that come in? to the program that you're doing so originally originally it was uh, the police athletically so we partnered directly with them okay and now there's still a partnership there with them as we explore new Mm -hmm. programs obviously uh covid made things dynamically more challenging in the last year um to do you know certain in-person programs and it's why we did the adventure series because you can kind of go do it on your own and explore a park but um, the uh, HCA has its own outreach channels as well. Okay. I just care. I attend, uh, the largest African-American church in Kansas city, Missouri. Oh, cool. That's where I've been going for, you know, the last couple of years. Awesome. And, uh, I'm good friends with the senior pastor there. And, uh, yeah. So I, I'm just curious because their, their youth pastor just passed away from COVID just a few uh, months ago, which worse. was just where he was like, you know, 40, Michael Griswold and we call him Grizzy. Um, so, uh, that was a really heartbreaking thing, but, um, yeah, some of the, some of the African-American churches might, might be fun connection points too. I, I was just, you know, my brain was. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a, yeah. a big, a big, a big push for us is, you know, um, to get more diversity in the outdoors. Yeah. It's, um, I like that. So, yeah, I, I love that. Okay. So then, um, tell me about your other, Nonprofit. As so well. myself and a buddy Adam Majors and Iraq War vet uh, went through a program in California called Save a Warrior, and um, we essentially brought a similar version of that program back here. Um, and it it's called the Battle Within now, and uh, it it focuses on serving veterans, uh, first responders, police officers, et cetera, that are suffering from post-traumatic stress. And it's really like a five to seven day holistic program um, where they go through, like they they come to, they come to the program, no cell phones, um, maybe in the evenings they get it, but really they're pulled away into programming that uh, goes through yoga and meditation, but it also um, really educates people on what's happening with the brain um, when you suffer from post-traumatic stress, uh, just because it's really hard to heal if you don't know why you're broken. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really focusing on like digging deep and, and really looking into the soul, um, really looking into the hero's journey uh, and, 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 and then taking a hero's journey of your own. And a lot of, when the, you say hero's journey, you're talking about like the, the mythical hero, Joseph, journey. Joseph yeah. Campbell, yeah, right. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. If, if you, yeah. if you, if you look at the hero's journey mm-hmm. and you look at Joseph Campbell's teachings, you know, yeah. um, we do, we do go through a lot of yeah, that. That's because cool stuff. Myth, myth does a great job of illustrating 
like what pain looks like, mm-hmm. uh, what it looks like, w- what the difference between empathy and compassion look like, um, what what healing looks like. And so we do use a lot of myth mm-hmm. um, to go through uh, like what's happening to yeah. you when you suffer from post-traumatic stress. You know, what happens to your amygdala and your prefrontal cortex? Right. What happens to your limbic system and your anterior cingulate? And what are the things that actually yeah. engage those parts of the brain? It's good stuff. So have you, have you run across any uh, like brain science people that you really like that you read or anything like uh, neuroscience of the brain? Um, I'm just curious. You know, I've read, I've read a lot. I've <laughs> done a lot of research. There's a guy um, named David Eagleman that I really like. I don't know if you're I'm, I'm familiar with He's him. He's yeah. done Incognito. He just did uh, uh, a second book, Live Wired. Cool. Um, anyway. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with the name, but we... A, a lot of the the research that was done over the last four or five years, there's just so there's so many people that have have started to do uh, more work and 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 published articles and 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 looked at the science of what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know when yeah, it's trauma and how it stores in the oldest yeah, part mean, of your brain and all that. Brene Brown's a great example of of someone she's we great. we use yeah. to teach. Um, yeah, she's you know, amazing. I mean, when you just when you talk about um, kind of what happens to a soldier, you know, Brene Brown found in her study that you can't selectively numb emotions. So if, if you yeah. numb the ability to cry, well, you numb the ability to feel happy. If you numb the ability to be angry, you feel you numb the ability to feel compassion or empathy. Well, how can you be a father or a husband or anything yeah. if you shut everything off? Right. And I've been in the recovery community for two years. I've been working with a bunch of different groups in the recovery world, 12 step groups and Mm -hmm. other types of groups. And some of these same things play into that world as well, because of the way addiction affects the brain. Real similar. Yeah. I mean, you look, there's some parallels. You look at Joseph Campbell and and he's like, he talks about the shadow, you know, Mm -hmm. and everybody has a shadow. Right. And it's important to recognize like, the shitty parts of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the shittiest of mine is my ego. Like I, I want to win. I want to be the best. I want, like, I want to be good at everything I do. And if I don't recognize that every day, um, I, I'd, I'd likely come off as a like a narcissist or a very egocentric person. But I literally, I literally have to step away from competing. That's why I can play golf because I literally don't care how bad I am. I'm just, I'm out there to have fun. Don't be competitive. Just go play. Unless it's my brother. I didn't do very good. I didn't do very good at that. Yeah. And then I get very upset at golf. Because my brother just like. Ah, golf. Yeah. I quit it because I just couldn't uh, handle the, I'd get too mad at myself. But anyway. All right, man. Well, um, tell us a couple of websites for the stuff that you're like, like for the different, the two nonprofits. What are yeah, they? Heartland Conservation Alliance. Dot com. Um, uh, I think it's dot org. Okay. And, and then uh, I know the battle within dot org. Dot org. Um, okay. But if you type in Heartland Conservation Alliance, you're going to find it. Okay. And then uh, 
climbkc.com, C-L-I-M-B-K-C.com is for all the facilities and then all three facilities are on there. So, all right. Yeah. Well, this has been fun. Uh, I could talk for a lot longer with you about all this stuff because it's some of the stuff I love too. So thanks for, thanks for being here and thanks for being a part of Spirituality Adventures and everybody, thanks for joining us and uh, we'll see you next time. This concludes today's episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Remember to like, share, or subscribe to the social media platform that you're using. And then go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, and make a one-time donation, or you can subscribe monthly and receive our special bonus content. Thanks so much.